The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ this morning to you all. Welcome to those of you here in the room, and of course, welcome to everybody tuning in online or listening to our podcast. We do have a sermon podcast, by the way. If you know what a podcast is, uh, you can go access that and uh, listen back to any of our older sermons, going back many, many years, actually. Um, And so you can find that in a podcast app searching for The Springs Church, or you can go to our website, thesprings.cc slash messages, and click listen. Um, So I just wanted to let you guys know about that, and I wanted to welcome you to The Springs Church. This is a church of people being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. And as Ben has said before, the ways that we primarily do that are by gathering in the name of the Father, primarily right here on Sunday morning, like now, and by growing into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, especially in our connections groups, and by going in the power of the Holy Spirit on God's mission in the world. So we wanna invite you in to not just gather with us, but to grow and to go with us as well as we are transformed into the image of Christ together. I hope that I get to uh, preach all of this sermon this morning. We are right on the precipice of child number three entering our lives. So if something happens in the middle of the sermon, uh, somebody volunteered, John maybe, he's done it before. He's jumped up at a moment's notice. So, uh, But we're, we're very excited for that and I am excited to get to continue in this sermon series with you this morning. Your story, scripture, and the mission of God. We're in Matthew chapter four together, if you wanna turn there in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you this morning with gratitude for your word, for this word of the Lord. We give you thanks. 
we thank you for the word that you have spoken definitively in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask for the spirit to open up our ears and our eyes to hear and to see your healing words of salvation this morning. God, I ask you for the gift of preaching. And Jesus, we ask in your name that you would give us faith and courage to put your words into practice. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. There's a heart-wrenching scene in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. If you've read that book or seen any of the adaptations, then you know that there's a scene where Scrooge, who is this miserly old man who hates Christmas, and he's visited by the ghost of Christmas past and present and yet to come, Scrooge is taken by the ghost of Christmas past to see all of these old Christmases that he has lived through as a younger man. And one of these Christmases happens to be the one where his beloved breaks off the relationship with him. And so older Scrooge is having to stand there and and watch this relationship fall apart before his eyes. He's having to stand there and watch as his fiancée tells him basically you used to love me but now you there's an idol in my place now you love money instead and scrooge has to watch the brokenness of his life and his captivity to greed tear his relationship asunder and it's too much for him he he says to the ghost of christmas past he says spirit show me no more conduct me home why do you delight to torture me Reading that scene, watching that scene, we have to ask ourselves, could we stand in Scrooge's place? Could we stand there and and watch and relive some of these challenging, tragic moments from our past? How could we stand in his place and look back on the ways that our captivity to sin and death and the brokenness of the world have played out in our own lives? Because standing there, we would want to intervene. We would want to to maybe grab ourselves by the shoulders and shake ourselves and try to speak some sense into ourselves and to say, no, do it differently. Do it this way. Change it. Rewrite the story. There are things we want to return and change and relive. And in fact, one of my favorite songwriters is Paul Simon. Uh, For those of you who are young or maybe don't know, that's the same Paul Simon of the duo, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, Maybe some don't know Simon and Garfunkel and I've just alienated you further, I'm sorry. But Paul Simon is a great songwriter and he came out with an album about 10 years ago and on that album there's a song called Rewrite. And it's one of those Paul Simon songs that's very happy and peppy and there's influences of world music. There's even this kind of happy-go-lucky whistle in the song. But it's also one of those songs where the happy music kind of disguises this deeper sadness beneath the surface in the lyrics. And so it's a song about an older man kind of wanting to rewrite some things, wanting to change the ending, wanting to change his life. And there's a verse where he sings this. He says, I'll eliminate the pages where the father has a breakdown and he has to leave the family, but he really meant no harm. Gonna substitute a car chase and a race across the rooftops where the father saves the children and he holds them in his arms. 
Church, we all have those moments of breakdown. We have those moments where we struggle, where we, we fall prey to the brokenness of the world around us. As AJ said so beautifully in his homily, we have the mats that we carry with us. And sometimes looking at those moments, looking back on them, we have to ask, does God have anything to say about those moments in our stories? We have our stories and we have the tragic brokenness of them, but what does that mean for the fact that we also live in God's story? That's one of the points of this sermon series is that God's story really is our story, but how do we marry God's story with the worst of our own story? And does God have anything to say about that? You know that I believe he does. And I want to look this morning and contend that Jesus Christ is not just the author and perfecter of our faith, but that Jesus Christ is also the author and the editor of our story. And I want to look with you at three different stories that Jesus rewrites. Three stories that Jesus rewrites as the Son of God. And to do that, we gotta go back to Matthew's Gospel at the beginning in chapter two, verse 13. So let's turn over there together. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child Jesus and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So King Herod hears there's gonna be a rival king that's gonna be born and he wants to wipe him out so God sends Joseph and Jesus and Mary over to Egypt And then he calls them out of it when it's safe. He calls them out of Egypt. And Matthew quotes Hosea, who says, out of Egypt I called my son. And these are the actual words of Hosea. He says, when Israel was a child, God says, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, Israel. What's happening is Matthew is identifying Israel with Jesus. Israel is God's son. Israel is God's child, right? That's how God speaks about Israel in the Old Testament, but we also know that Jesus is the son of God. And so what Matthew has done is he said Jesus is Israel. Jesus is the true Israelite, the true Israel. He's a representative of that whole people. And so Matthew is telling us here in chapter two and beyond that Jesus has rewritten Israel's story. Jesus has rewritten the story of Israel. And Matthew goes to great lengths to to show us that. So let's go back and think about Israel. We're in the book of Exodus. Israel's in Egypt. And Pharaoh is trying to kill the baby boys of the Hebrews, right? So Israel's in Egypt. Pharaoh's trying to slaughter the children. Israel comes out of Egypt, they cross through the Red Sea, and then they go into the wilderness, right? So those are the main beats of the story of Israel, and we've got a table that we can pull up here for that as well. Because then Matthew 
telling the story of Jesus shows us that Jesus goes to Egypt, remember with Joseph and Mary, and then King Herod, a king, tries to slaughter the children in Bethlehem, slaughters the innocents. Jesus leaves Egypt, he's baptized, he walks through the waters to freedom, and then he spends 40 days in the wilderness. Do you see the same beats of the story? Do you see the same plot of Israel's life playing out the way that Jesus plays out the same plot? We have Egypt, slaughter, leaving Egypt, through the waters of freedom, and then 40 in the wilderness. Jesus is rewriting the story of Israel. Jesus is living the story of God's people as their representative. Jesus is rewriting the story because Jesus is gonna go in the wilderness and instead of being unfaithful like Israel, Jesus is going to win. And that's where we get to Matthew chapter four this morning. So let's take a closer look at what happens in Matthew chapter four this morning beginning in verse three. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is in the wilderness wandering. Remember, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is there for 40 days. And so it's fitting that when Jesus quotes scripture back to the devil, he always quotes scripture from Israel's wilderness wanderings, right? All three of the scriptures that Jesus quotes to Satan come from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. Jesus is rewriting Israel's story. But that's not the only story he's rewriting, right? Who is Jesus talking to? Jesus is talking to Satan, to the devil, to the tempter, right? And what we learned in the second sermon in this series is that Revelation identifies Satan, that, that accuser, that power and force of evil and negation. Revelation says that's the same serpent in Genesis 3. Remember Revelation chapter 12? The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So, Once again, in Matthew 4, the devil has reared his ugly head, right? The same force of power and negation that is tempting Jesus in Matthew 4 is the same force of power and negation tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. And I love the way that this is depicted by the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, If you all are in the market for a children's Bible. I highly recommend this one. We use it in our pre-K two class here. It's it's kind of the gold standard. It's it's really excellent. Even if you don't have kids, get this Bible. It really distills the story in a beautiful, incredible way that we can all glean from. And I, I love the way that it's depicted here, that we have Eve in Genesis 3 on the left, and, and this is further on in the book, of course, in Matthew, with Jesus in chapter four on the right. And so you can see the similarities in the way that they've depicted it, right? You can see kind of a family resemblance between Eve and Jesus. She could almost be his mother. You see some of the same facial features. You see some hair similarities. 
But there's also differences, right? So they're both confronting a serpent, but with Eve, she's already entangled in it, right? With Eve, there's, there's nowhere to go. The serpent has Eve right where he wants her. But look at the distance with Jesus, right? His expression is a little more resolute. His posture is heroic and more defiant. There's space between him and the serpent. Jesus is reliving the story. Jesus is rewriting the story for the better because Jesus has rewritten Adam and Eve's story. Jesus has rewritten Adam and Eve's story. Because remember, both of these stories get kicked off with food. It's about food, right? Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days without food. A lot of us get hangry enough to club one another for a sandwich after a couple hours, right? Jesus, it's been 40 days. And so Satan comes to him and he, he hits him where it hurts. He hits him where it makes the most sense. And with Adam and Eve, they're in a garden and there's plenty of lush fruit around, plenty of opportunities for food, but Satan gets them with the one that they can't have. Satan says, oh, but you gotta have this one. Right? Did God really say? This one's delicious. This one's the one that'll make you wise like God. But Jesus, playing the game on a significantly higher difficulty level, rewrites the story for the good. And it's not just that Jesus has rewritten the story, but Jesus has also shown us how to read the story. Look at the second temptation in Matthew 4. Let's go to verse five together. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Notice that with this second temptation, Satan starts quoting the Bible. Satan starts quoting scripture. This must be the scene that inspired Shakespeare to write that the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. Even the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. Even the devil can try to tell his own story with scripture. And indeed, any of us can quote scripture and pretty much try to say and support almost anything, right? We can try to tell a different story than the one God is telling, but Jesus defeats Satan by being a better reader of the Bible. Jesus defeats Satan by interpreting the Bible better, by telling us the way that the story actually goes. Jesus not only rewrites the story, but he shows us how to read the story. Remember at the end of Luke 24, when the risen Jesus on the road to Emmaus says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Jesus shows us how to read God's story. He shows us the true story that we are a part of. 
And he does that because he's rewritten that very story. Jesus has been the faithful Adam, right? Paul says as much in Romans chapter five. Remember Paul is talking about Adam as a kind of type of the one to come. Adam is the first Adam, but Jesus is the second Adam. And Paul says in Romans 5, 15, he says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches us how to read the story. And at the same time, Jesus rewrites the story of Israel, of Adam and Eve. And that brings us to the third story that Jesus rewrites. Turning over once again to Hebrews chapter four. In chapter four, verse 15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Jesus takes on the same challenges that we've taken on. He takes on the same testing, the same temptation, the same plot points of our life, the same weakness that we have. Jesus has walked it. And so the third story that Jesus rewrites is that Jesus has rewritten your story. Jesus has rewritten your story. We talk a lot about Jesus dying for us, dying on our behalf, dying in our place. We almost never talk about Jesus living for us about Jesus living on our behalf, Jesus living in our place, living a perfect life, living and uniting God and humankind in his body, right? Jesus, fully divine, fully human, 100% divine, 100% human, reconciling God and man in his body, and Jesus, therefore, healing the image of God. Remember, we started this sermon series talking about the way that Adam and Eve had broken that image that God had created them in, that the icon was cracked, the image broken. But when Jesus lives a better story, when Jesus rewrites the story of Israel and Adam and our own story, Jesus restores that image of God by restoring humans with God. Jesus restores the image of God in us by restoring, by reliving the human life, by rewriting our mistakes. That's how Jesus restores God's image. Jesus reconciles God and humankind together by restoring us with God. And that means your story has been rewritten. Your story has been rewritten by the life of Jesus Christ who dies on our behalf and lives on our behalf. 
the most defining thing about your story is no longer your biggest mistake. The most defining thing about your story is no longer the hardest moments for you to relive. The most defining thing about your story and your life is the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul says as much in Colossians chapter three, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Christ is your life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God's perfect eternity of love. And because your life is hidden with Christ in God, your life is healed with Christ in God. And we may not be able to walk into a time machine and travel back to the moment that we want to rewrite for the better our own. But in God's perfect eternity, That is where your perfected life resides, in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore, it's Jesus. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And now my worst sins, my biggest mistakes, my most searing, deepest regrets have become scar tissue on the nail-pierced hands. They're healed. They've been healed in the life of the risen Jesus Christ who lives on our behalf and rewrites the story. Fleming Rutledge says that because he has rewritten the story, we are no longer prisoners of our worst selves nor of the evil powers that would destroy us. At any moment of our lives, God may break through with yet another miracle of rewriting. Are you looking for the rewriting? Are you looking to your life lived in Jesus Christ on your behalf? Do you know deep down that there is nothing that can escape the story Jesus lived for us all. There is nothing. Because Jesus Christ, holy God and holy human, has reconciled us with God, has rewritten the story of Israel, of Adam, and your story. And now, there is nothing in your story that can fail to be rewritten by the saving love of Jesus Christ. Your fractured relationships with your children, with your relatives, with anyone, your fractured relationships with your brothers and sisters, parents, your struggle with sin and addiction, your wrestling with anxiety and depression, Jesus Christ has reached into your life and rewritten those things for the glory of God the Father. Amen, church. Let us stand and praise the Jesus who restores us with God.